Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Blake Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection. And as we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of Luke. One day, Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. May God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of the scripture. It is so great to be back in the pulpit today as we kick off our three-week summer revival. I want to remind you that we all need reviving at times, not just in our spiritual life, but in every part of our lives. If you're in a relationship with somebody, a family member, a friend, uh, somebody you're married to, there are times where our relationships can grow stale, where we're not investing in them anymore, where we've lost some of the passion and love that we once had. This is true in our workplace, in our, in our workaday worlds, where there are times we have passion for the work that we do and our vocation, and then we can lose that passion. And then we find ourselves burned out or lackadaisical or not really caring anymore. And that happens when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. We find in the book of Revelation uh, that there are in chapter two, we find that the church at Ephesus, the writer of Revelation says, I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And to the church at Laodicea, you have become lukewarm. This can happen in our Christian spiritual life. Doesn't mean we don't believe in God. Doesn't mean we don't have God's grace but there are times that we need reviving. We need revitalization, renewing. We need to remember who we are and who God is. Let me just remind you, the reason for this is because we leak. If this is our soul, if this cup represents our soul, uh, we have, in some sense, you know, places where we tend to 
drip out. It's times when we're giving ourselves away to other people and we find we're, you know, we become, you know, at times we're disappointed, we find discouragement, we, we have all kinds of things that happen that end up draining us. And right, we need at times to have those holes plugged up a bit and then we need to be filled once more. And that is exactly what revival is meant to do. Revival is meant to fill us up once more and to help us find our first love. And so that's what we're gonna be doing in this sermon series as we focus on Jesus at the lake. As we focus on Jesus at the lake, we're gonna be inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of reviving us. I, I want you to know every great revival that's ever happened in the history of Christian faith happened because the Holy Spirit was invited to be at work in people's hearts and lives. And so what I'd like for us to do right now is I'd like for us to pray wherever you are. I'd like for you to whisper this prayer under your breath with me. If you would bow with me and let's pray. Would you say these words? Come Holy Spirit. Fill me anew, renew my faith, open my ears to hear and my heart to receive whatever you want for me today. Revive me, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our sermon series is going to be built around the idea of Jesus at the lake, and we're going to be studying three of the most powerful and most loved passages in the Gospels about Jesus when he was at the lake. And I want to remind you that Jesus spent a lot of time at the lake. In fact, this is why we have a giant boat back behind me on the chancel. That boat is actually the size of the boat that Jesus would have sailed in across the Sea of Galilee. The lake is mentioned in the Gospels 50 times, 50 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, and a few in John's Gospel. 50 times boats are mentioned in the Gospels. So we find that boats and the lake were a really important part of Jesus' life. I wanna remind you of where Jesus starts his life and, and how he ends up spending so much time around the lake. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem right down here, but his hometown is Nazareth right up here. Jesus grows up there for 30 years of his life. He spends his time in Nazareth. He comes back down to be baptized by John by the Jordan River near the Dead Sea. But then when he goes back, he comes back to Nazareth, preaches his first sermon. And then we read these words from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. This is a quote from Matthew 4.13. Jesus left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea. Capernaum by the sea. For the next three years, he's going to spend most of his time there at Capernaum by the sea and the villages around the Sea of Galilee. He's going to stray from there and go, you know, off, off uh, in some distance a few times. He's going to go to Jerusalem for the high holy days. But most of his time, he's going to spend in and around the Sea of Galilee. There were about 10 villages around the Sea of Galilee at that time. And he goes to visit many of those villages. We have these recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel tells the story a bit differently. He spends much more time in Jerusalem in John's Gospel. But for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee. So let me just show you. I'll show you first on this map. Jesus goes from Nazareth. He travels to Capernaum. Let's just go a little closer. And this is Nazareth today. And it was a small village at the time of Christ. And he travels about 20 miles to Capernaum as the bird flies or as the crow flies. And this is the Sea of Galilee here. So Capernaum, he's gonna travel to various villages along this side, to villages along this side. He's gonna take boats across the Sea of Galilee over to this area here. But this is where Jesus is gonna spend most of his time. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long by eight miles across at its widest. At its deepest, it's about 150 feet deep. And it is the lowest freshwater body of water on the earth. So the lowest body of water is the, is the Dead Sea, south of here, about 90 miles. But the Sea of Galilee, the lowest freshwater body on the planet uh, at 700 feet below sea level. So again, most of Jesus' ministry is going to happen in and around the lake. So we're going to talk about these stories about the lake, and we're going to see how they speak to us and how they help us find 
revival and renewal and new life. Now, I want to mention I spent the last month at the Lake of the Ozarks. 18 years ago, uh, a friend of ours, a dear uh, friend of Levon and mine, uh, they bought a house at the Lake of the Ozarks. I'd never been much of a lake person, but we went down and we found it was refreshing and renewing to have a chance to be on the water, to sit on the dock and just to pray and think. I would take long walks. And, and so we did that. And I wrote several of my books uh, at their house at the, at the Lake of the Ozarks. And 11 years ago, Levon and I had an opportunity to buy a house ourselves and to be able to have a place for our kids and set up an office. And since then, I've written about 15 books at the Lake of the Ozarks and uh, outlined and written a number of sermons. Here's a picture of our house that we have there. It's not fancy. It's a very simple home, but we love it. And we love having a chance to go there and to spend time uh, with with our family and to enjoy connecting with one another. While I'm at the lake, I will tell you every day, almost every day, I start off with a three-mile walk. And that three-mile walk, it's a power walk. And during that three miles of walking, the entire time I'm spending time praying, I connect with God there. When I'm sitting on my, we have a screen and porch and it's there that I work on my sermons. I have a little office in the place, but really that becomes my office. I love to sit out among the trees and just to listen, whether it's raining or the wind blowing through the trees and to sit out there and read and study and reflect and write. And it's been a blessing to me. And for this reason, I've come to think that Jesus also must have felt something similar if he left his hometown inland at, uh, at Nazareth and he ends up spending three years and the Sea of Galilee. So I thought I'd share with you during the sermon series, I'm gonna focus mostly on Jesus and the Sea of Galilee, but I'm gonna share with you little bits and pieces of what happens around um, my part of the Lake of the Ozarks, or you know, where we live. And, and uh, I thought I'd, I'd introduce you today to my friend, Bob. Bob is my next door neighbor at the lake. He lives in the back of the cove. Moved there 23 years ago, Bob and Gloria. They celebrated their 64th wedding anniversary on July 4th. They were married on Independence Day and uh, grew up in Kansas City, Kansas as a lifelong Pentecostal. And and he loves to fish. And so I spent time with him this week in conversation, just asking him a little bit about fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Take a listen. My name is Robert Hogan, Robert L. Hogan, and we're from Kansas City, Kansas. You enjoy being by the water? Oh, yes, very yeah. much. I think Jesus loved being by the water. I believe he did, too. Tell us about fishing. How often do you fish? Every chance I get. <laughs> Personally, I, I come down here, I can come down here every day. And what do you love about it? You meet people on the lake, you talk to people that are fishing. The fishermen come in here and they fish it, you know, by boat. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll they'll come in and and they'll even pull up to the dock and we'll, we'll talk about fishing, you know, different methods that they use, but what I use. So you're fishing for crappie out here. How many crappie will you catch? How if, in a given day? What, what would what would be a good catch in a given day? Limit. 15. 15. Uh, what do you do with your crappie? What you, so you caught 15, now what are you going to do? I give a lot of it away, yes. Do you enjoy giving it away? Yes, I do. Yeah. You know, it's it's just something that people enjoy, it. Mm-hmm. That, that they don't have the chance to fish, and they, they enjoy getting it, uh, what I give to them. Yeah. And it's my pleasure, too. I love that, and I love Bob. And you know, I've got 30 crappie fillet in my freezer down at the lake. I'm looking forward to eating them. And uh, just a great guy. And he paints a picture for me of what fishermen are like 
and a bit of what the disciples might've been like. So what I'd like to do now is to take you to the Sea of Galilee, but uh, I wanna do that starting by recognizing in February of this year, we took 40 young adults to the Sea of Galilee. Actually, we went to the Holy Land, and at the Holy Land, we spent time uh, visiting and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And at one point, we end up on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee, actually a couple times, and I asked them to take off their shoes and socks and put their feet in the water, and I wanted us to remember and just imagine what it was like to sit there on the seashore as Jesus was teaching, as he was preaching, as he was caring for people. Here's a picture of them. And uh, this is just a few of the 40. And you see the Sea of Galilee in the background with the hillsides all around. And, and you can see part of the Golan Heights, the, the, the easternmost part of the Golan Heights back in the background. Anyway, I want you to, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter five. And I want you to hear these words once more. Luke chapter five, verses one through three. One day, Jesus was standing besides Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Now, we notice it was morning. Uh, they'd been fishing all night long, so it was morning. A lot of times on the Sea of Galilee, pe people fish at night. Not much fishing there now. They've overfished the lake, but uh, the Sea of Galilee, they would fish at night and did that up until the last few years. And, uh, and I wanted you to have a chance to see and understand a little bit more about how they were fishing because this helps us understand the story. So here's a photo of a couple of fishermen who were fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. I took this a number of years ago. You can see Tiberius, the lights from Tiberius. This was sunset. It was darker than what it shows in the picture. I blew it up, uh, I blew up the exposure. But you can see them and they've got their nets inside the boats. And this is exactly what you would have found with the fishermen in Jesus' day. Simon and Andrew, James and John out fishing on the lake. I want you to see how the fishing was done. So this is a trammel net, and a trammel net in Jesus' day had corks at the top, and uh, corks at the top, and they had weights at the bottom, and the net, the net might have been maybe six to eight feet tall, and the fish would, would swim into it. They, today's trammel nets have three nets connected together, two larger ones on outside and a, and a smaller one on the inside, and the fish gets stuck in there. So what would happen is you would take the nets out and if you were fishing by yourself, you would have one end of the net and let's say they're 25 feet long, maybe longer. Uh, you'd have one of the net with a rock or a stone that would anchor it down in, in one place. And then you would have the top of it had cork, the bottom of it had weights, and you would begin unspooling that or just letting it out in the water as you were rowing. As you're rowing along and, and Peter Simon had somebody else with him, probably his brother Andrew, somebody's rowing and somebody's letting out the net. And as they let it out there, it begins to expand and, it, and it's covering a distance of about 25 feet. Now, maybe 50 feet. Then what often happened, and, and I saw this when I was watching modern fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they would put a lantern and have it float on the water. It's dark, and the reason why they fish at night is because the fish can't see the nets at night. This was particularly true in the first century where the nets were more is easily seen, and so they believed that the fish could be caught better at night, but they'd put a light, a lantern, uh, on a, a something that would float, and the fish would be drawn to it, and as they were drawn to that light, they would fly, you know, fish uh, swim right into the net, and they would be caught. And so you would pull the nets back in, you would take out the fish, you would throw out the fish you didn't wanna keep, and you would do it again and again and again all the way through the night. And then finally in the morning, exhausted, you would come back and you would have to clean out your nets. You would take your fish, you would sell them in the market, and you would clean out your nets and get them ready and prepared for the next day. That's where we find this story taking place. So uh, the fishermen had gone ashore, they were cleaning their nets, and Jesus is walking along the shoreline. You saw a picture of the shoreline a moment ago, and he's teaching and preaching, and the people in town had left their jobs and their homes to come and hear this preacher preaching. 
And, uh, and they were pressing against him, and Jesus steps into one of those boats that's pulled up onto the shoreline. And Simon Peter comes, and, and, uh, and as he comes out, uh, Jesus says to Simon, I want you to just, would you mind taking the boat out just a few feet from the shore so that I've got some space here between the people and I can minister to them? Now, Jesus is borrowing Peter's stuff. He's borrowing his boat, right? And, and can you imagine Simon, like he's been working all night long and he's trying to get his nets clean and Jesus is now wanting, who is this itinerant preacher is wanting him to push the boat off ashore? And he easily could have come up with a thousand excellent excuses. But instead, he, you know, rows the boat back a few feet. Now, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing because he knows Simon. He knows Simon's name. He, he knows who Simon is and he knows that he wants Simon to be one of his disciples. In fact, <clears throat> Simon doesn't understand this, but Jesus knows that he's gonna be the rock upon which he's gonna build his church. Simon's just a fisherman. So Jesus asks him to row backwards. He rows back. He's preaching and teaching God's word. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. And Simon has to listen. Can you imagine Simon sitting there? How long was Jesus' sermon? I'm guessing it was at least as long as mine, 35 minutes. So he's listening as Jesus is preaching. He's stuck there having to listen. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. All right, when the sermon was finished, uh, this is what happens next. We read these words. Uh, oh, by the way, let me just mention before I, I share these scriptures. This entire story is a defining moment disguised as an inconvenience. A defining moment for Simon Peter that will change the course of the rest of his life and change the course of world history but it feels like an inconvenience to Simon Peter. I wonder if you've ever experienced a defining moment disguised as an inconvenience. I'm guessing you have, and you may not have realized it. You may still not realize it. All right, so here's what happens next. Uh, again, look in your passage at Luke chapter five, verses four and five. When he had finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, master, we've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. Now, we don't hear what Jesus was preaching about to the crowd. Luke doesn't tell us that because the real point of this story is what's happening with Simon Peter on the boat. So uh, Simon's told, you know, go out into the deep water and, and we're gonna toss out your nets again. Now the nets have just been cleaned out. Simon Peter is tired and he's been fishing all night. Now here's an itinerant preacher. What does the preacher know about catching fish? I'm the expert at catching fish. I know what to do. And I'm telling you, the fish are not gonna be caught. I'm guessing this is all going through Simon's mind. And he sort of shares it a little bit here. He's just a bit begrudging in what he's saying. He said, master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. And I imagine him pausing there, waiting for Jesus to say, oh gosh, I didn't realize that. Okay, I'll tell you what. Yeah, how about if I come back tomorrow or some other time and maybe we can go out fishing again. But you know what? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus just sits there looking at Simon. And because of that, Simon ultimately is gonna end up doing what Jesus has asked. I love this. I wrote a book a few years ago, 2018. I wrote it at the Lake of the Ozarks. It was called Simon Peter, Flawed but Faithful Disciple. I've written a lot of books. This was one of my favorites to write for me personally because I just retraced Simon Peter's life. And what you find in the gospels about Simon Peter is he is a flawed yet ultimately faithful disciple. Again and again and again, he says the things other people are thinking, but he doesn't, you know, but nobody else wants to say it. He ends up, you know, getting things wrong over and over and over again. You get to the last night of Jesus' life before he's crucified and he denies Jesus three times. But again and again and again, Jesus restores him he ends up getting it. He learns from his mistakes and he's striving. He wants to do the right thing. 
And that's who Simon Peter was. And that's what we find in this story. And so here's what Simon Peter finally says begrudgingly, because Jesus isn't going to let him off the hook. He says, because you say, actually, would you say this with me? Say these words out loud. Because you say so, I'll drop the nets. Because you say so, Jesus, I'll drop the nets. Now, Jesus is not yet Lord of his life. He's not his savior. He's not been crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. He's just an itinerant preacher. But this is the heart of Simon Peter. I don't want to do it, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. I wonder if you've ever felt that way, where you felt somebody else is asking you to do something and you just really don't want to do it. And sometimes you come up with great excuses and you don't do it. Sometimes you might even feel that God is calling you to do something. You hear uh, in, in the middle of a sermon or while you're reading scripture, somebody in the church calling you and asking, can you help with this? Or, or might you consider doing that? And, and you hear it and you go, I just don't want to. I'm too busy. I don't want to do that. And that doesn't even sound like fun to me. And, and, I, and, and so what I find in my life, I'm just going to be honest with you as a pastor, so many of the things where I feel like God is calling me to do these things, I come up with excuses and I have to overcome my tendency, my propensity to give excuses and to actually go ahead and do the thing that I feel like God is calling me to do. It's hard sometimes. And there are times where I have chosen not to do the thing I felt like God was calling me to do. And I made even more excuses for why I didn't do that. And so it's easy for us. You know, we're all busy. You've got a million things going on in your life. Your life is jam-packed, mine is too. And so if you're gonna add anything else, if Jesus is gonna call you to do something else, it means that you're gonna have to add one more thing or you're gonna have to take something away. And we're not very good at that. And so like Simon Peter, tired after fishing all night and having caught nothing, we wanna come up with a ton of excuses. But Simon Peter in the end, even though he gives the excuse, Lord, we've fished all night, we haven't caught anything. He goes ahead and does what Jesus asks. Because you say so, I'll drop the nets. Part of revival is listening for God's voice, listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, and being willing to say, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm weary, but because you say so, I'm gonna do it. By the way, Jesus asks Simon, and presumably his brother Andrew's in the boat with him, ask them to take the boat to the deep water. This is interesting. So around the shoreline, it's pretty shallow and uh, at the Sea of Galilee, and you go out just a little bit and you get to where the fish are, and, and, they, and, the, and the tilapia in particular, uh, which is what they were probably fishing for, the tilapia like the shallower waters. But Jesus says, go out to the deep water. So he's asking him to do something a little risky and he's asking him to do something he doesn't really wanna do, but he does it anyway. All right, at times in our lives, Jesus calls us to go out to the deep water too, to be willing to take some level of risks, something that we're not comfortable with, that, that's outside of our comfort zone, something that, that comes with a little bit of risk or danger. And I've always felt that every, every trip I've taken, every mission trip I've taken, I, in my mind, I know it's safer. We wouldn't be going here. Every time I've gone to the Holy Land, there's somebody on the trip who says, are you sure this is really safe for us to do this? And here's what I know. The people who always wanna play a totally safe existence and never wanna take any level of risk at all, and we don't take much risk around here, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure we're taking you to safe places. But still there's some risk in flying. There's some risk in going to communities that, we've, you know, that you've not been to before. That's true here in Kansas City as well. And so if all you wanna do is play it safe and never take any risks, you're gonna miss out on life. I mean, once more, Jesus you know, had a chance to hear from Simon Peter, Lord, I'll go in the shallow water, but let's not go to the deep water. But Simon didn't do that. So because you say so, again, I will go. So listen to what happens next in verses six and seven. So they dropped the nets and their catch. So they're out in the deep water. They dropped their nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. 
they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. That's James and John. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. Can you imagine that? They've been fishing all night long, hadn't caught a single fish, and now they have filled their nets so full that the nets are about to break, and when they start putting the fish into the boats, they find the boats are starting to sink. I mean, they didn't sink, but they were, you know, you could feel them weighted down by all of that fish. They'd never seen anything like this before. It was an absolute and utter miracle. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. And by the way, Simon would notice, uh, would see the same miracle again after Jesus' resurrection in the Gospel of John. The last time the disciples saw Jesus was again at the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, they're out fishing and not catching anything. And Jesus says, toss your net on the other side. And they do, and they pull in a huge haul of fish, 157 fish, I think is what John tells us. In any case, uh, I, I love this picture of what's going on here and, and the idea. So there's literally what's happening and there's sort of a metaphor of what's happening here. And that is that Christians saw boats, these kind of boats, and what Simon Peter and the disciples were gonna do is a metaphor for what the church does. So the church becomes the boat, right? And, and we're fishing for people. We're gonna hear more about that in a moment. It's interesting when you talk about church architecture, the place where the congregation sits in the church is called the nave. The nave from the Latin navis, from which we have the word navy, actually means ship. And so when we gather together, when we gather for worship in our sanctuary, this is the nave, this is the ship. And we've gathered on the ship. And then we, we re recognize that, you know, our task is to try to help lure the fish, right? It's, it's not to lure them to, to uh, eat them. <laughs> it is to lure them into the kingdom of God. It is to draw them to Christ, their savior, right? I love this miracle that happens, by the way, when we, when we see this. It's as though, and, and I think you're meant to recognize this. I'm certain you are. That Christ has the power to command the fish, to, to beckon and woo the fish, into the nets, right? And I think back in the scriptures, how, uh, how God had the power when the Israelites were in the wilderness of the Sinai and they were hungry and God beckoned the quail to come and the coveys of quail that came out, the, 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 you know, the, the magnificent uh, amount of birds that came to be able to feed the Israelites. And now we have one who's in the boat and apparently has called all of those fish into the nets. I mean, there's a miracle that's happened here. It's amazing. And it shows something about the power of this man. Simon Peter doesn't understand the creeds and doesn't understand the divinity and the, and the humanity of Jesus and the two natures yet. But what he knows is somehow God has done something through this man who's in his boat. There's a miracle that's happened here. So listen to what happens next, verses eight through 10. When Simon P Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those who were with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners and they were amazed too. Peter's response reminds me of Isaiah. You may remember in the book of Isaiah, chapter six, Isaiah is given a vision of the heavenly throne room and, and the glory of God has filled this throne room and, and he's there and he's hearing the creatures in heaven crying out, holy, holy, holy. And all of a sudden he cries out and this is, these are his words, woe is me, I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter's response was similar. He falls at Jesus' knees. He realizes I, I, I am not worthy. I can't even be in your presence. You, you somehow have the presence of God working through you and I am an unclean person. I am a sinful person. And this is part of revival too, is recognizing our own brokenness, our own sin every single day. Part of my prayer in the morning and the night again, God, please forgive me for the ways I have blown it. Please forgive me for not being the man that you want me to be and that I was created to be and help me to become that man, right? So, so Simon Peter, he's terrified. 
And the other disciples, they are filled with amazement. The word is thombos in, in Greek. And this word thambos or thombos is a word that means utter astonishment, it means that they were dumbfounded by what they had seen. They recognized something, God had done something through this man who told them to let down the nets in the deep. They'd never seen anything like it before. I want you to notice what happens next. Jesus says to Simon, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. By the way, I want you to notice Simon Peter becomes the first person in the gospel of Luke to call Jesus Lord. So, you know, I'm a sinful man, Lord, he says. And, And Lord is a word that means master, sovereign, ruler. It becomes the central confession of the Christian faith that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the sovereign. He's the ruler. He's he's the master. And we yield our lives to him. And in essence, this is part of what Simon Peter is doing on his knees, calling him Lord, right? And part of revival comes from remembering that I'm not Lord and you're not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And so we yield our lives to him. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. From now on, you will be fishing for people. All right, I wanna share with you a story that I heard several weeks ago. I was working at one of the schools where we were doing the painting of the schools and I had a chance to be there one evening and, and, uh, and Roberta Lau shared with me this story. She's one of our staff members here about a man named David Austin. Uh, David is a retired bank examiner. And uh, in his retirement, he has, uh, he has said, God, what can you do with me? What can you do with my skills, my gifts, my abilities, uh, you know, my boat in essence, what, what I have, how can you use it? And, uh, and so one day he was working in our backpack uh, program. That's where we pack uh, nutritious snacks for the weekends for about 2000 children. And he was working there and Bud Cornelius came in. Bud is another one of our members who's retired and, and he's really devoted to our ministry with our partner schools. We have 13 partner schools, elementary schools and preschools and one high school. And these are all in low income areas in Kansas City. And we devote millions of dollars and thousands and thousands of hours of volunteer time in ministry coming alongside the schools to just bless these kids and to help them grow in their faith, not in their faith. We hope they see faith in us, to help them grow as human beings in their public schools. We don't talk about the faith, but we live it in these schools. In any case, uh, Bud came and said, hey, we're in desperate need of tutors and mentors at J.A. Rogers Elementary School. J.A. Rogers is located at Truman and Van Brunt Road, or not far from there. It's 23rd and Van Brunt Road in Kansas City. And so uh, we really need tutors, people who can mentor and, and encourage these kids. And David said, I've never done anything like that before. And he said, to be quite honest, it was way outside my comfort zone. It was outside my comfort zone to go into the school. It was outside my comfort zone to work with kids and particularly with kids. He said, I've never worked with children before in my life. What did I know about that? I wasn't sure how it would work. He was assigned a second. So he said, yes, yes, Jesus, you can have my boat. You can use it. Yes, Jesus, I'll go out into the deep water and cast out the nets. So he was assigned a little girl named Natalia. And Natalia, like most of the kids, two thirds of the kids in her class, in her grade level at that school, are performing below their grade level academically. Most of them two grades below that. So she was reading at a kindergarten level and she's a second grader. He said she struggled to read. We had books with three letter words and she struggled to be able to sight read and to pronounce the three letter words. She was really uncomfortable. She didn't, she felt very insecure and she was unable to read even the most basic of things. So he began focusing on sight reading and learning the meaning of those words and being able to look at them and say them. And then, and then they began to move from three-letter words to four-letter words to five-letter words. Then they began to move from you know, books at, at the kindergarten level to books at the first grade level and then the second grade level. And, and he said in the process, you know, a, little, a lot of these kids have been told that they can't do things 
You know, they've not been told to believe in themselves. They've not been told that they can. They've been told they can't. And so they've come to believe that. And he said, I would try to encourage her. I would listen, you know, as she's, as she's speaking. I would, I would try to build her up. And, and he, said, uh, he said, she began to have confidence. And, and then he said this, Adam, she is precious. And she began to believe in herself. She started jumping levels and reading. By the end of the year, she was reading Pete the Cat. And uh, when, she was, when he was talking to her second grade teacher, her second grade teacher said, of all the kids that, that, he'd see, that she'd seen, she said, I see more improvement in her than anybody else. And that happened because of you, David. And David described the joy that he felt. I felt such joy, he said, in tutoring this little girl and blessing her and, and building her up. And, and here's what I want you to see. You know, fishing for people is, of course, inviting people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also pouring into people's lives that they might grow into the people God wanted them to become. And that's exactly what David was doing here. I want you to see this picture. This is of a field trip with the class. Uh, and David was a part of that field trip and uh, with this class of kids. And, and Natalia is one of those kids sitting in that class. And I got ready to get off the phone with David. And he said, oh, there's one other thing I want to tell you about. And I said, well, what is it, David? He said, you know, a couple of years ago, I was asked uh, by one of our staff, would you be a confirmation mentor with teenagers, with our eighth graders? And he's like, oh, God, what do I know about eighth graders? I don't I, no, I don't, I don't know that I can do that, but, but we really need confirmation mentors. And he said, okay, I'll give it a try. And he said, the first year was really rough. And then he said, by the second year, he began to get the hang of it. And by the third year, he, was, he said, I just found such joy in working with these teenagers. This is a picture of him with his confirmation, uh, confirmation class as they were serving in a mission trip. And that's David there in the center. And I love this. And, and he said once more, he said, what I found in doing something that was outside my comfort zone, that wasn't what I really thought I wanted to do, that had nothing to do with what my career was in the past, what I found was joy. This is a revival. This is about rediscovering joy. And rediscovering joy for him, finding joy for him, was an answering Jesus call, which he heard through another man named Bud Cornelius, and he heard through one of our staff members, Shannon Green, and, and then he heard through the Holy Spirit prompting him. In fact, he said, when Shannon mentioned the idea of being a confirmation mentor, he said, I felt the Holy Spirit screaming in my ears, not literally hearing it, but I felt the Holy Spirit screaming, I need you to do this. I wanna encourage you, we can be the kind of people who make excuses. Are we gonna be the kind of people who say, here I am, Lord, use me. I think about Natalia. What would have happened in her life if she hadn't had somebody like David who said, okay, God, I'll go to a place that's not comfortable to do things that I'm not certain that I can do. Had David not been there, had there been no mentor for this little girl who was reading at the kindergarten level, the beginning of the kindergarten level in second grade, how might that have affected the whole rest of her life if he hadn't been willing to say, yes, Jesus, you can use my boat. Yes, Jesus, I'll row back into the deep water. Yes, Jesus, I'll cast out my net once more. Yes, Jesus, I'll be a fisher of people. All right, I want you to notice what happens next. Uh, and I want you to read this with me if you would. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything and followed Jesus. See, this is a, you may not be called to leave everything. You may not leave your business. This is what they did. Some of you will be. Some of you are called to ordained ministry. Some of you are called to full-time Christian ministry. I want you to be listening because some of you, you know it. Maybe you felt it inside. Maybe you're feeling it now that God is calling you to go to seminary and go into full-time ministry or, or working as a lay staff member in a church. That may be what God is calling you to do or in the mission field or something else. But for most of us, it's not leaving our entire career behind. It's just being willing to say, Lord, I'll make room for what you need me to do. 
I'm gonna offer myself to you. I'm gonna leave behind my agenda and I'm gonna pursue your agenda. We have to listen, we have to pay attention, we have to watch and see, and all of us are called. This is what I want you to hear. This story about Jesus and the disciples is in the gospels written after Peter is already dead and gone. Not for Peter's sake, but for our sake. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you every day. He's calling you every day to somehow be engaged and involved in his work and his ministry in the world. And the question is, are you listening and are you paying attention? And will you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I have some excellent excuses. Or here I am, Lord, you can use my boat. You can use me. I wanted to end with Bob Hogue once more and you have a chance to hear from him, you know, what he thought about fishermen and why Jesus chose these fishermen and what they were like and what it means to fish for people. Take a listen. Let's talk about fishermen. So tell me about what fishermen are like. If you think about the disciples, at least four of them were fishermen, maybe more. Why do you think Jesus called fishermen to be his disciples? They're friendly. They're outspoken. I've never met a person yet, a fisherman, and I fish this lake quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I've, never, I've never met a person yet that was angry. Tell me about as you think about these fishermen and Jesus calls them to go fish for people, what is it about fishing that applies to fishing for people, that applies to drawing people to Jesus? You have to have an attitude, a proper attitude, I would say, that a friendly person can get more out of another person than if you come off on the rough side. I, I wouldn't say you cater to the person, but you, you, have a, you have an attitude yourself of how you would be treated. So I, I believe that, that, that Christ, when he, when he did this, he knew, he knows all things anyway, but I mean, he knew what the attitudes of these fishermen are gonna be. Yep. They didn't take exception to his, his following his instructions. They did what he told them to do. Yeah. You have you have to to know what you're speaking about, for one thing. Yeah. You have to believe in what you're doing. When I go to church, listen to the sermons, sing the songs, meet the people of the congregation, then I can I can come home and I'm refreshed. I love that. Bob finds he's refreshed and renewed when he worships, when he sings, when he's with the people, when he's listening for God to speak to him. But I also love what he said about those disciples. Did you notice what he said? He said they were kind. He said that they treated other people the way they wanted to be treated. And he said they were obedient to Christ. Whenever he called, they didn't argue with him. They simply said yes. That's my invitation for you today. We're called to be fishers of people. Jesus is calling you. Will you say yes? Let's pray. I'd like for you to whisper this prayer under your breath. Just simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, you can have all I am. Yes, you can use all I have. Yes, I wanna follow you. Yes, I wanna fish for people. Renew my soul, O oh Lord. 
All I am and have I give to you. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.